Over the recent weeks, we have been, as Sue said, we've been doing this series called Basecamp. And um, we know by the Word of God that each of us has a calling and each of us has a purpose. It's uh, my, my all-time favorite verse in the Bible, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Uh, I won't unpack it because I would just preach on that for the next hour. Uh, but every single one of us has a purpose. Every single one of us has a calling. And we know that by the Word of God. And I have suggested over the previous couple of weeks that if we are to live a fulfilled life, then the best way to be fulfilled is to discover and walk in that purpose. And this series um, has been built around the picture of life being a journey. And more often than not, life is a climb as opposed to a, a long walk. And hence the name Base Camp. And this climb, we, we looked at Mount Everest. <clears throat> and that in the climb to the summit of Mount Everest, there are a number of camps that the climbers have to go to. There is Base Camp, which is the very first one that they go to. And if you remember over the last couple of weeks, I've talked about only 65% of climbers who set out to summit Mount Everest ever make to Base Camp 1. And Base Camp 1 is as far as you can go using your legs only. And it's such a great parallel to our journey in Christ. We can get so far on our own, out of our own strength. But after that, we need help. Whether it's specialised equipment or specialised guides, And the reason there are a number of camps on Mount Everest is because of this statement. Each stage of the ascent requires greater levels of preparation, acclimatization, and more specific equipment. In fact, on Everest, as soon as you have climbed over 26,200 feet or 8,000 meters, which is still 1,000 meters short of the summit of Everest, you are in what they call the death zone. And it's called the death zone because almost all of the deaths that happen on Mount Everest are between 8,000 and 9,000 meters on the ascent or the descent. And this is why to prepare for each stage, the climbers have to go to each camp and they have to give their bodies time to get used to the higher altitude. As soon as you get over 2,000 meters, the air starts to get thinner and you have to breathe harder, you have to work harder, you have to walk more Carefully, you have to walk more with more, not just care, but you need to think about where you're placing your feet. You need to think about the trail. You need to think about how you're walking and where you're walking. Can you see the parallels in our Christian walk? This is why climbers spend several weeks climbing Mount Everest. They need to rest every few thousand feet to catch their breath, to let their body acclimatize, to prepare for the next stage. This climb of life, this climb of faith that we are involved in, it's not a competition. It's not a competition. It's not a reach a a goal or tick a box achievement thing. And it is nowhere, nowhere is it a let's do better than someone else thing. The reason that I have intentionally dug into this for us for the last two and now three weeks is this, this climb, this pursuit of a relationship with God has eternal consequences. And everything about your being. It's just, I just, you know, if, if Jesus Christ, I've, I heard John Bevere say this. If Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, the question is not whether you get to heaven, it's what you're going to do while you're there. Everything you do here matters. It's almost like our time here on earth is a, a rehearsal. A rehearsal for the responsibility God will give us 
when we live for eternity. Yeah, I, I just want to break a, break a very old myth here. When you die and go to heaven, you don't get allocated a cloud and a harp. Okay? You'll have a purpose. You'll have a purpose in the kingdom of God. So, over the last couple of weeks, we've looked at the equipment that we need to use for the climb. So week one, part one, we looked at what we need personally. We broke that down into three things. You need God's word in your life. We need God's word to shape our words. We need our word. Our word has to align with God's word. And when it does, so we need God's word, our word, and then prayer. You see, when our words align with God's words, then our prayers align with God's desires and God's plans. And that's, that's something that we, we have to work on personally. And not once and then done. It's again and again. The scriptures talk about faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And, and the, the grammatic way in which that verse is written, it's called present continuous, which means that this faith comes from hearing and 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 hearing. And you get the picture. Collectively, week two, we looked at what we need collectively to climb. Well, collectively to climb further from base camp one, we need to be part of a climbing squad in what we call a connect group in our church here where there is authentic repentance and baptism. There is authentic gratitude, authentic honesty, and authentic unity and care. And last week I unpacked how, how, how we, we see the pastoral care being a body ministry operating in this church. So to wrap this series up, Today's message I've called, it's, whilst it's still called a base camp, we're no longer in base camp, but we are going to go to the ascent. We're going to climb for the summit this morning. So before we go anywhere else, can we just pray again? Let's set, set this time specifically in the word aside. Father, now in the name of Jesus, fill this atmosphere with you afresh, more, deeper, thicker, and Lord, if it is in your heart and in your plan today to fill it so full that I can't preach, fantastic. Holy Spirit, the word of God says you are the spirit of revelation and truth. And you remain the same yesterday, today and forever. So Lord, would you plant in us the eternal truth, not the world's current truth reality truth but the eternal truth that never changes that saves heals and delivers in Jesus name Amen so like I said last week we looked at the importance of being in a climbing squad being in a connect group and you see we're not called to do life alone we're not called to do life on our own and God established this right from the get go right from the very Beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, where he says, It is not good for the man or woman to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him or them. Individually and together, we have the same goal to bring God glory with our lives. If you want a job description, there it is right there. It's as, it's as big and profound and as simple as that. How you live, will it bring God glory? Not a case of where you live or what you do, but how you live. See, being a lone ranger, envious of others, was never God's intention. If we read, if you can very easily become a little bit despondent if you read the book of Ecclesiastes, especially chapter 4, 
We, King, King Solomon, the wisest man in all the known world, in actual fact, the wisest man who ever lived on the earth, even beyond what Stephen Hawking thinks he knows. And there he goes on. It's, it's, all, it's all frivolous. It's all pointless. It's all meaningless. And in one of those, in verse 4 of Ecclesiastes chapter 4, he says this, Then I observed that most people are motivated to success because they envy their neighbors. But this too is meaningless. It's like chasing the wind. I'll tell you what, if that's how you're going to climb your mountain, it's a sure way to die on the mountain. A Bible teacher, Pastor Philip de Corsi, um, he speaks, he's got a, he's got a daily tele, um, radio show in America. He speaks at conferences around the world and he also has a podcast. He says this, Biblical wisdom embraces a theology of we. And it rejects a theology of me. I think it's a profound statement when it comes to climbing, when it comes to walking in our journey of faith. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 from the New Living Translation says this, Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. I've heard it said of this verse that don't, it, it doesn't, this verse doesn't say think less of yourself. It says think less of yourself. It all depends on where you put the comma. Don't think less of yourself because you are the workmanship of God in Christ Jesus, fearfully and wonderfully made. It says that he saw, the Bible says he saw you being made in your mother's womb before the world even knew you. He wrote the pages of the story of your life. So don't think less of yourself. Honestly, think what the Word of God says about yourself. But think less, comma, of yourself. To be successful in our climb in life, we need to commit ourselves to these three things. We need to resist the go-it-alone spirit that often characterizes our culture. You know, there's, I, I once looked up um, on Google, I just did a, a very quick Google search, self-help books. I didn't look them all up because it said at the top there was 800,000 hits. And I think that was only page one. We need to resist that go it alone spirit. The second thing, we need to cultivate meaningful relationships and learn to treasure our friends. You know, if you've ever been in a war zone, they say your closest friend is the person who's in the foxhole with you. <laughs> then the third thing, which is probably the most important thing, not probably it is, Stay closely connected to God and the members of his body, the church. See, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, it says this, Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. I've, I've said this many times over the years as a pastor. A short break from church will lead to a long break from God. You, think, you might think, well, that's a bit severe. Well, I've seen it happen over and over and over and over and over and over again. The longer someone stays out of, the less connected they are too. You know, when it comes to climbing a mountain, blazing your own trail is often a very, very quick way to die often leads to dead ends. It leads to having to backtrack. And if you are up above 
six to 8,000 meters and you've only got a limited oxygen supply, you don't want to be backtracking and being bluffed out on a, on a cliff and going, i got nowhere to go. We need knowledge and we need guidance. Or it's extremely easy to take a wrong turn. Again, the scriptures say, my people perish through lack of knowledge, lack of wisdom. So this is so relevant for the things of faith. You know, we've climbed to base camp one. Maybe you climbed to base camp on your own. Maybe you're one of the, uh, probably I would use the phrase rare. Maybe you're a rare person in the Western world to have encountered Jesus on your own, having never had anyone share anything of the gospel with you. It's not rare in the Eastern Bloc, in the likes of Iran and Iraq and Arabia and everything like that. The testimonies of people having one-on-one encounters with Jesus are widespread. It's absolutely phenomenal. But in our case, maybe you've climbed to base camp one on your own. Once you've got to base camp one, you've joined a larger party of climbers ready to ascend to camp two and camp three. But each stage of the climb gets more and more difficult. And more and more personal. And the climbing party generally gets smaller and smaller as people drop off. There is a greater tax on you physically. There is a greater tax on you mentally and emotionally. And more often than not spiritually when you're at that altitude. Because all of a sudden you see things bigger and wider. There is a need to fine-tune your equipment. There is a need to fine-tune your behavior, your climbing style. Can you see where I'm going with this? The further you climb in your faith, the closer you get personally to God, there is a greater tax on your personal will and your personal desires. The things that others do that are okay to them become not okay to you because of your conviction and your pursuit of God. And you know what? The people who tax you are the people who are walking alongside you. The ones who haven't yet dropped out of the climbing party. The ones who go, what's wrong with that? Why don't you do that? Why don't you come here? Why don't you party here? Why don't you just do this a little bit? But the closer and the more intentional we get about our climb with God, the more these things need to drop off. Your climbing gear needs to be fine-tuned. Your attitude and your behavior, there's a need to fine-tune your equipment and your behavior. And so here's some questions. What, is, what, are, what are you using to strengthen your faith life? Craig Grishel preached a message some time ago that I listened and I, I used some of his thoughts in a message that I preached. And his statement throughout his message was this, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. What are you putting aside? What are you leaving behind in your pursuit of God? <clears throat> I, remember, I remember years ago, I got really tested on this. Uh, I, I, have, I have always loved music. Always loved music. From my earliest memories, I've loved music. And I had a collection of original LPs. Everyone under 40 has no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> you do? Okay, great. Excellent. Or vinyls, you know, the old records, not CDs. What are they, they say? <laughs> records? I had a, a collection of original vinyl LPs, Elvis Presley, Beach Boys. I mean, like, these were originals. And uh, I was in a season where God was refining me 
and refining my heart. And, and I, I believe checking on how obedient I would be. I was based at Hobsonville in the Air Force at the time and my, floor, my, my room in the barrack block was on the third floor and there's this tiny little balcony that looked over the upper harbour of, of Auckland up, up um, near Greenhithe. And I just felt so convicted that I needed to remove this from my life because I just there was a season that God really wanted all of my attention with regards to music. And so I took this a collection of original LPs out onto the balcony and I frisbeed them out into the harbour. Every single one of them. A week later, I was out visiting my mum and dad and my mum goes, sweetheart, do you still have those records, you know, all those originals? And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> Why do you ask? She said, oh, a good friend of mine had some as well and they just sold them for $700 each. <laughs> and I was like, God... Oh, all for Jesus, all for Jesus. <laughs> you know what? I love Elvis Presley and Beach Boys. I still listen to their music every now and then. But it was a season where I was climbing in God and there was a refining of my behavior. It was a refining of what I was using to feed my spirit, to feed my soul. And God said, you need to, you need, this needs to be tidied up. And I was like, okay, okay. There comes a time when you realize that a change of attitude is absolutely necessary as we grow more and more in Christ, as God's Holy Spirit works in us and on us. You know what? God will help us change our attitudes. He can help us become more like Jesus. Oh, guess what? That's exactly what the Bible says. Your attitude will determine your altitude. You know, in the, in the cockpit of an aircraft, there is an altitude indicator and an attitude Indicator. Thank you, Jesus. Even planes confirm your word. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24 says this, Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Remember, our foundational Bible verses, God has declared that once the Holy Spirit comes upon us with power, we will be his witnesses. But it's not through our own might, it's not through our own will, but it's by his Spirit. Ephesians chapter, the same verse, I'm going to come up again, but I've highlighted verse 23. It says this, instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. You know, we can really dig in with a little bit of self-help. I, I, you know, you hear it all the time in business. I'm a self-made man or I'm a self-made woman. You know, um, but actually, if we want to change the inside, we need the, change, the inside change agent, and that is the Holy Spirit. And I think this is one of the most profound things about the Christian faith as opposed to the absolute who's who in the zoo of faiths around the world. Faiths around the world who don't rely on God himself Rely on us to change our behaviors, change our clothes, change our diet, change where we live. It's all external. But God himself will accept you exactly where you are, but he loves you so much he won't leave you that way. And he changes us from the inside out as we give him permission. Now, some of you might be sitting there thinking, oh, that's a bit extreme, Tom. You know what? The closer you get to the summit the more extreme the weather becomes. And it can change like that. 
Now, that looks, that looks all beautiful and wispy on the screen. You see nice, soft, fluffy cloud at the summit. Now, this, this picture here is K2, so it's the second tallest mountain in the world. You see the, the beautiful, wispy clouds going around the side of the mountain? Chances are those, cloud, those, those clouds are looking like that because the winds are over 100 miles an hour. And that actually at the top is not beautiful cloud. That's actually snow being blasted off the top of the mountain because the wind is so strong. It looks lovely. Guess what? It's because we're not up there. <laughs> we're not up there fighting frostbite, trying to catch our breath, trying to hang on to rocks so we don't get blown off the mountain. But the higher you go, the closer you get to the summit, the more extreme the weather becomes. You know why mediocrity never gets challenged? Because mediocrity is not a threat. It's just not a threat. You might think, oh, Tom, you took it too enthusiastic. I mean, after all, it's a, it's a cool, wet Sunday morning. Come on, it's chill. It's just, let's have coffee. You know, to, to calm the farm. Calm the farm, Tom. Well, you know what? I, over the years, I can tell you right now, I've lost count of the number of times that I have been accused of being too enthusiastic for God, of becoming a fanatic for God. Well, I like to play with words. And I like to look at the original meanings of words. You know, the fanatic comes from the Latin phaneticus, which actually means inspired by a deity. Most of New Zealand's deities are rugby ball. They get inspired. They're fanatic about rugby. So do the South Africans. I'll give that to your cheese. <laughs> but you know the word enthusiastic? Enthusiasm? It comes from the Greek, and it comes from two words, entheos, which literally means of God or God within. Enthusiasm in God is not a fleeting or a rash excitement. It's not a burst of emotion that evaporates as quickly as it arrives. Enthusiasm as God is planned. It's intentional. It's designed. It's empowered. It's directed. It's disciplined. It's on purpose. I get excited about God because He's worth getting excited about. I get excited about church because it's worth getting excited about. I get excited about Sunday mornings because I get to come and do this with you guys. Okay, we've got five or six getting baptized. I think we should go for 50. Julian, we were talking about 50 this morning, weren't we? <laughs> Don't worry, the water is not the same temperature as the top of the mountain. It's more like Hamner Springs. See, Christian enthusiasm is actually God-inspired passion. Christian enthusiasm is driven by the glory of God, is derived from the Spirit of God, directed through the Word of God, and dedicated to the Son of God. True enthusiasm comes from within, and it doesn't come from my ability, but it's not through might or power, but it's by the Spirit, says the Lord. This is why, this is why on a, on a Sunday morning when there's been hardly any sleep and one coffee just doesn't cut it, we can get up here and we can love on the Lord of God, the Lord of God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength, because it's not through my will or power, but it's through the Holy Spirit who resides within. It's why after a hard day, we can be kind, we can be gentle, we can be loving, we can be patient. Why? Because they are the fruit of the Holy Spirit. 
They're not the result of me choosing every day, each step I get closer to home. I'm going to love my kids. I'm going to love my wife. I'm going to love the cat, maybe. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to tell my wife that she's the most beautiful woman in the world. I'm going to say, your cooking is unbelievable. Oh, I'm so blessed. I'm so blessed. No, I do get to do that. I choose to do that. Because yes, my wife's cooking is beyond belief. It's amazing and she's beautiful. And, but the Holy Spirit, I'm convinced, absolutely convinced. No one can take this away from me. This woman, God planted her in my life. She is a gift, a direct gift from God for my life. Amen. I'm glad you agree, honey. <laughs> if you don't, too bad. God told me. Confirmed it three times. <laughs> When it comes to climbing a mountain like Everest, it involves every part of the climber's being. The climber will put their whole time, their whole resource, their whole their time, their talent, and their treasure into a climb like that. You don't do that on a whim. And you know what? Loving and serving Christ, giving everything you've got is just like that. And may I suggest it is absolutely the only way to go. That was a really good amen moment. <laughs> Our relationship with God goes beyond just talking to God occasionally in prayer or moaning or hoping, but it literally becomes walking with God in everything and everywhere. It is beyond just choosing to talk with God occasionally. It extends to relating with and to God in everything as your always available companion who will never, what the scripture said, never leave you, never forsake you. It's about getting him involved in every single activity of your day. How many of you have done the homework that I sent you three weeks ago in part one of this series? No, no, it was actually, no, it was last week. Okay, you've, okay I just cut your homework in half by one, two weeks to one week. How many of you have practiced the first words out of your mouth every day are words of gratitude? Okay, I'm guessing that you don't want to have a show of hands. Okay, we won't ask for a show of hands. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 through 18 says this, Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Does this mean that we ignore the tough times? Not at all. But you know, when the storm is blasting us and trying to blast us off the side of the mountain, how can we be joyful in that? I'm hanging on for dear life. My fingers are biting into the rock. My nose is about to break because it's frozen. And I, how can I be joyful in this? <coughs> yeah, praise God for the rock. <coughs> At least we're not going to get blown off the mountain. We're anchored to the rock. That's another climbing thing. No one realizes his or her best potential in their own. God's words and life teach us that living is designed to be a team thing. Remember this. These are some of our base scriptures that we've used right through the series. Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. Mark chapter 12, verses 30, 31. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. John chapter 13, verse 35. And this is how everyone will realize that you're my disciples when they see, how you love, see the love you have for each other. 
genuine love for each other. As I bring this into land, or as we get closer to the summit, I, I want you to know that we are here to climb with you. No man left behind. I want to give one final scripture. And I'd like to read this out, but I'd like you to, to receive it uh, as a prayer of blessing over you this morning. Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, it says this. I pray that your love will overflow more and more, that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters, so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. You know what? Individually and together, we have the same goal, to bring God glory with our lives.